The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Welcome to this edition, the Tuesday edition of Passion, which means uh, it is Trouble Tuesdays. Every Tuesday I spend the hour answering your questions. Uh, But tonight I want to start off uh, with an ending from yesterday. Yesterday we talked about psychopaths with our therapist panel. It was so interesting and did get um, a few questions uh, pertaining to that topic that I wanted to share and a link to a, a website which I found really interesting that somebody sent me, uh, which looked at the list of jobs with the highest rates of uh, psychopathy. So the ones most likely to, uh, I guess, to have the traits of a psychopath, which I thought was interesting. And we touched on that, in fact, uh, with our therapist panel. But number one is CEO. Number two is a lawyer. Number three is media, so TV or radio. Uh, Number four is a salesperson, then surgeon, journalist, police officer, clergy person, person, chef, and civil servant. The list of jobs with the lowest rates of psychopathy are a care aide, a nurse, a therapist, I find it interesting. I'm number three on both. So I do, th- so I guess they just cancel each other out. Um, number four was a craftsperson, then a beautician, stylist, charity worker, teacher, creative artist, doctor, and accountant. So there you have the list of uh, ones that are more, more likely to fit the bill. So there was a, one email that I got asking me to talk about narcissistic abuse. So we talked a little bit about the difference between narcissism and uh, uh, being a psychopath or psychopathy. So in terms of narcissist, narcissism, that is a personality disorder, whereas uh, being a psychopath fits on another kind of diagnosis. But... Uh, the two often go uh, hand in hand. So there is something we hear about now called narcissistic abuse. These are uh, unfortunately rarely diagnosed um, officially, but the perpetrators of narcissistic abuse are typically those whose behavior actually meets the uh, the traits on, on the DSM, so the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Personality Disorders, so Narcissistic Personality Disorder, or Antisocial uh, Personality Disorder. And these individuals, and, and you may be listening and thinking, oh, I was once married to one of those, uh, but individuals with these disorders have a strong propensity to exploit others. Uh, due to having low levels of emotional empathy, an inability to feel remorse, and the pathological ability and desire to deceive and manipulate. In narcissistic relationships, there's always at the very beginning what's called an idealization period where narcissists intentionally manufacture a soulmate persona at the beginning of the relationship, that is not who they genuinely are. They do this to encourage their uh, targeted partners to become vulnerable to them and quickly 
fall in love. Once the narcissist has gained the trust and confidence of the partner, the true self eventually shows itself. And then the abuser turns on the partner and behaves in cruel ways, such as through verbal abuse, withholding of love and attention, that was before freely given, intentionally manufacturing emotions such as jealousy and insecurity. Remember, there's a difference between actually being insecure and manufacturing that uh, and engaging in various forms of betrayal. Basically, it is the intentional construction of a false perception of someone else's reality by an abuser for the purposes of essentially controlling them. And then it has these following features. The false reality is constructed through elaborate covert deception and psychological manipulation over a long period of time. So it's very insidious and which is why people feel like they are caught in a web and can't, can't escape that web. Uh, another uh, factor or another feature is the false perceptions created are of the abuser as someone who has the partner or the survivor's best interests at heart and of the relationship as a beneficial one for the survivor. So they create this, they make the other person believe that they really do care about them, that, uh, that being with them is, uh, is survival for the other person. It, it will, it, it will benefit you greatly to be in a relationship with me. Uh, another feature is the goal of the abuse is to allow the narcissist to extract whatever he or she perceives is of value from the partner, whether it's attention, admiration, status, love, sex, money, a place to stay, whatever other uh, resources. The abuser also takes advantage of societal norms that assume everyone participates in social relationships with a basic level of empathy which makes it easier for the abuser to convince the other person and everyone else that no abuse is actually uh, taking place. So they play on that. They play on knowing that most of us have some level of empathy because we expect that from people. We don't expect this kind of behavior. We don't expect people to behave in a uh, completely narcissistic, sociopathic, narcissistic, uh, or, or a psychopathic way. And because the abuse is hidden using deception, it's often very difficult for people who are in relationships with these people uh, to recognize, understand, or uh, escape the situation. And this very much describes what happened to the woman who is depicted in the true story of the, in the series Dirty John. This is exactly what happened. So narcissistically, narcissistic abuse is what she suffered with this uh, psychopath. I also got a question about the Stockholm Syndrome, which could also explain why uh, partners will stay in such relationships. And basically Stockholm syndrome comes from, uh, hostage taking situations. It comes from, uh, th it's this condition that causes hostages to develop a psychological alliance, let's say with their captors. And they do this as a survival strategy during their, uh, captivity. So they kind of form a bond with their, uh, their captor, even though it's irrational and, and all of that. 
uh, and they develop feelings with that and all that. But now we're using this to describe also reactions of abuse victims and abuse survivors. So we don't, we're using this term not in kidnappings and hostage takings anymore, but we've appropriated this condition to explain how oftentimes um, abuse victims will will stay and and how they feel for their perpetrators for the people that they are are victimizing uh, victimizing them so uh, anyhow another texter wrote, wrote my ex was a psychopathic narcissist she was a successful MBA management consultant and I saw four psychologists who didn't know anything about narcissistic abuse and didn't help at all. The fourth was through my doctor who basically affirmed the traits and behaviors she inflicted upon me. This needs to be talked about more. Uh, you're right. It's an issue. It's, uh, it's one of those topics that does need to be uh, talked about more for sure. Uh, coming up, a question uh, from a gentleman wondering if uh, nipples are directly linked to the clitoris. I'll answer that and more. Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Get your questions in tonight. 514-800 to text in. You can call in at 514-790-0800. Some people have emailed me. Lori at DrLori.com. Just to follow up to what I was talking about earlier, a texter writes in, what is meant by manufactured insecurity exactly? So when I'm talking about narcissistic abuse and people who perpetrate this, talking about people who pretend to have these emotions. So they're, they're manufacturing emotions like jealousy and insecurity, which might imply that they actually have empathy or feel for the other person when in fact uh, they don't. And so when you manufacture the, especially jealousy, the person that you are abusing in this way uh, feels like, oh, well, he or she must really love me if they are uh, jealous, for example, or if they are feeling insecure. So they do it to their own benefit. They're not they're making it up if it benefits them is basically what we're talking about when we talk about manufacturing uh, insecurity or uh, or jealousy. So this question, uh, is it true that women's nipples have a direct connection to her clitoris and can they have orgasms from touching or licking even in older age? So there's no link uh, between, uh, there's no like uh, thread that goes from the nipples to the clitoris, but every woman has different areas when stimulated that could uh, create arousal. For some women, nipple stimulation is uh, very arousing, so it it will start the lubrication process uh, if nipples are stimulated. Uh, I think it's like 1% or something can have orgasms simply from nipple stimulation, but that doesn't mean it's related to the clitoris. It's not... The clitoris is one organ, the nipples are another. Uh, it's just that you, uh, when you get aroused from nipple stimulation, 
you get an engorgement to the clitoris and to your genitals. That engorgement, it's the blood flow going there. Just think of the erection. So it, you can stimulate any part of a man. If they love it or are getting excited by it, they will get an erection. Same thing for a woman. A woman. Just think of the erection, the um, clitoris as the organ becoming erect or, or having blood flow, uh, into it, which will then, uh, cause lubrication and, and all of that. So that's the connection, but there isn't like a direct connection as for older age and, uh, and nipple stimulation. Some, as we get older, we can change the things that stimulate us. In other words, we, when we were younger, one thing might've worked as we get older, something else will work. Like for all of us that can change. So our erogenous uh, zones can actually change over time. Uh, Sometimes where one thing was really pleasurable, it could become irritable or irritating at at some point. So it it all depends, which is why having a good sexual communication with a partner is important because what you did one time may not work another time. Uh, and that's not on you. It's on the person who's experiencing that and it just may not work for them anymore. Even though you're doing the same thing you've always done, which is why so important to discuss. If you have questions, send them along at 514-800 or you want to add and to any of the topics we are discussing uh, tonight in our questions from our listeners, or if you have your own bit to say about uh, whether it's narcissistic abuse, living with a psychopath, uh, or if, uh, tell me what you thought of the, uh, the movie, the, not the movie, but the series, uh, Dirty John based on, uh, a true story. And it's, it's a harrowing story really. All right. Here's a one f- by email. We are married for almost two years now. And in the beginning we enjoyed making love to each other. But as soon as the days pass by, The interest, uh, my wife's interest is fading away. She mentioned sometimes that she doesn't feel wet while having sex. And due to this, she feels pain. Uh, I also don't wear a condom because she feels more pain because she doesn't feel wet. To add on, she has uh, thyroid issues for almost 10 months now. And she's complained many times about this. Can this be the reason? Please clear our doubts and help us in making our sex life better. Uh, I will try. I will try. Uh, I don't know how old you guys are, so it's hard for me to say if anything is age, um, age related, but sometimes not being, not being wet or not lubricating is actually not associated with arousal and might be um, more related with a medical condition. So a partner may still feel aroused, like the feeling of arousal is there, but her body is not responding. And that could very well be because something, uh, is going on hormonally. And when, and the thyroid controls many of these hormones. So she would have to have her blood checked and her hormone levels checked by, uh, by her doctor. What's really important in all of this, of course, is that you should always, always use an external lubricant when having intercourse, which you could buy at 
pretty much anywhere these days, any drugstore or sex shop. Uh, you might want to find one that is um, more slippery. So finding a silicone based one, if you don't use condoms, you can get, go for an oil based one. Just don't use a condom with an oil based, um, a lubricant, but something that doesn't dry up easily would be, uh, very, very helpful. And it would certainly lessen the pain a lot. And that goes to women who are older, uh, who also may not lubricate as much, uh, after menopause, for example, even though they still feel aroused and whose vaginas are getting thinner. So the lining gets thinner, which is it therefore becomes more prone to tiny, tiny little tears. But those tiny, tiny tears, uh, can, can cause a lot of pain, unfortunately. And so what ends up happening is you get a lot of women who just avoid intercourse. They don't avoid sexual activity necessarily, but they do avoid uh, intercourse. And you don't have to. There are solutions to this, like intravaginal hormone replacements that just take care of the vagina. They don't go through your bloodstream or very little goes through your bloodstream uh, is one option. That's if you are, um, certainly, uh, menopausal or postmenopausal. Otherwise, if you're younger and don't need the hormones in there, um, it's important to use that lubricant. Absolutely. Uh, question. I'm happily married with kids. However, recently I have felt the need to meet another woman just to relive the excitement of the beginning. I do love my, my wife. What do I do? You don't do. That's what you do. You don't do. It's normal that the uh, excitement wears away. Um, monogamy is a choice we make. It is a choice that we uh, we make together with a partner when uh, we get married, unless you have made specific, uh, like you have a specific contract with your partner, fidelity is included in that. Um, you're going to have to learn to create a little more excitement in your relationship. You give up on certain things when you commit to one partner long-term, uh, you give up the, the newness of, of brand new relationships and going from relationship to relationship and having that exciting, uh, beginnings of, uh, of sexual relationships, for example, you, you just don't have that. So you have to create passion in your relationship because it does with time fade simply because it's not new and you can't compare new to old. Uh, you just can't. So you have to find ways to inject passion in your relationship, doing exciting things together, changing up the sex, role playing, whatever it is, but it's something that you need to, uh, to discuss together. Meeting somebody else just to relieve, relive this excitement of the beginning and in the process potentially destroy your marriage and destroy your wife and betray her and you say you love your wife, if you love your wife, then you don't do it. You don't do it for that, those little bits of, uh, of excitement. Anybody else want to add anything to that? 514-800. Uh, hi, Dr. Petito. Years ago, I responded to a personal ad where that person, quote, was tired of the head games. Turns out that was the bait I bit. 
Within a few months, he was treating me like a stupid slave that was no good for anyone, that I was the lucky one to have him. I finally figured it out and left one day and ran as fast as I could. Good. That is exactly, you just described that narcissistic abuse that I talked about earlier. That's exactly what it is. It's the, the bait and switch, right? They, they reel you in, to, they make themselves to be out the perfect person, whether it's a woman or a man, it can be, it can be in either uh, gender. Uh, and then they start to treat you, uh, miserably. It's a very sad situation. Like when you get caught up in that, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's, tr- it's not just heartbreaking, it's traumatic. There's like a trauma that, uh, that is, is associated with that. It's like, how did I get caught in this? And it has nothing to do with how smart you are. It has it really, it's people who have the belief in, in other people's good get trapped easier. And I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't say don't be good and don't believe in good. You should, but at the same time, start to learn and to recognize the red flags. And I'm, I'm sure you will now. Uh, absolutely. Uh, coming up a question about premature ejaculation. So if you haven't heard me talk about that before, you will again, uh, one of the most common problems that men experience. I'll talk, uh, I'll talk about this and any other questions that you have. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Couple Tuesdays tonight on the program. Uh, I just got a text in response to the guy who wrote in saying, I'm a happily married man with kids. Uh, However, I've recently felt the need to meet another woman just to relive the excitement of the beginning. And one texter writes, and this is from a gentleman, he wrote, at the end, I'm a man writing this. A monogamy is also biological as much as it's a choice. It's about pair bonding and child rearing as much as a chosen commitment. So grown-ups who have been married with children for some time, but who suddenly miss being single and all that comes with it, might try simply realizing the married predicament they find themselves in is simply about being grown up kind of having to like work 50 hour, 50 weeks out of the year. You have to be loyal to your wife, exclamation mark. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that. And if anybody else wants to add, uh, to help out this gentleman, then, um, go for it. Okay. Here's a, here's one. I normally have sex with my wife, like once or twice a week, not a problem for me and neither for her. The point is that sometimes, <laughs> like how he says, I make a spectacular performance. Uh, she feels uh, very satisfied, and me too, but sometimes not so much. Uh, sometimes I ejaculate after five minutes of starting intercourse. I don't understand what is happening. Sometimes it is really, really good, but sometimes not. Um, I always ensure uh, that I uh, do a lot of uh, foreplay, like petting and romantic kissing, etc. But while I am doing that, I'm thinking, how will my performance be this time? Will it be as good as the last time? It's like a wheel of fortune. I hope you can help me to understand what could be happening to me. Would it be premature ejaculation? The answer to that is no. 
It's not premature ejaculation. That would occur if it was, let's say, under one minute of thrusting. The majority of men ejaculate between two and five minutes of intercourse, which means that, hey, sometimes you'll be two minutes, other times you might be 30 minutes. It doesn't matter. Um, It can change. The more you worry about it, though, the faster you will ejaculate. That's how it works. So maybe you should stop looking at sex with your partner as a performance. When I say performance, it's like, it's like a play. You, you're watching, you're kind of, you're not really in the moment, you're acting, right? But even, let's just say it's like a performance in a play. The actor doesn't perform the same each and every single show. They might be off one time or whatever. What if you're not feeling great? What if you're under stress? What if you're tired? That impacts any performance, whether you're on the stage or whether you're in uh, the bedroom. And which is, of course, perfectly uh, normal. I think every guy experiences this. Keep focusing on giving your partner pleasure with foreplay, which frankly is really what the majority of women need anyway in order to climax. So that's more important. There's also a theory called the good enough sex theory or the good enough uh, relationship, which I think is really important because if we have high expectations that our sex life should be amazing every single time, we get ourselves into trouble. In a real relationship, especially over the long term, the sex is good enough, meaning there will be times when it will be mind-blowing. There will be other times where it will be, oh, that was really nice. Uh, And there will be times when it may not work. It may be, it may hurt. The performance won't be there. The erection won't be there, whatever it is. But you, that's all part of a relationship. You will experience all of those things within a relationship and you should expect to experience all of those things in a relationship. And if you do, then you're less, you're kind of not thinking, oh, what's wrong here as this person is thinking. So I hope that answers that. Uh, This is a, a little bit, this is a sad situation on this next one that I have here. I've been molested by my stepfather when I was really young. Now I watch rape porn and I'm not sure why or what about it keeps me watching them and then ends with, am I evil? Certainly not evil. First of all, I'm very sorry that you had to go through this as a child. It's a horrible, terrible trauma for a child to endure. Um, As for getting turned on by rape scenes in porn or rape fantasies, believe it or not, it's actually a very common type of fantasy. This in no way indicates that a person desires to be actually raped. I want to make sure you understand this. In no way having a rape fantasy indicates that a person desires to be actually raped, that, that the two are not related. The reason why rape fantasies are, uh, let's say are common is because in a fantasy, you control everything. You control everything. 
it's your script. It's your, um, you know that you can turn it off, change the script, change the ending, whatever it is. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people who have these fantasies feel terrible about themselves, uh, for having them. Actual rape is about power. It's not about sex. It's about power, control, and humiliation. But when a person fantasizes about it or gets turned on by it, they're the one in control. That's nothing like the real thing. When you're not given a choice, you have a choice here. So having these fantasies, even as a survivor of abuse, does not mean there's something wrong with you, much less that you are somehow evil. Absolutely uh, not. So we know that rape fantasies are, are common. And you're also like many others who have such fantasies. The only thing that concerns me here is that you're negatively affected by watching, uh, watching these types of, uh, of porn or fantasizing about rape. So if your thoughts about rape are intrusive or you feel you can't control these kinds of thoughts, or if there is no other way for you to get aroused, then I say you need to consult with a therapist who can help you with uh, this healing process. Because, of course, I'm not sure with what you've written here if you've actually dealt with the impact of your of the childhood molestation, which is important to actually deal with that in uh, in therapy. Um, but the bottom line is that there doesn't seem uh, to be really a connection between having been a victim of sexual assault and rape fantasies, simply because they are quite common. So get get the help. Get the help. Uh, Texture writes, why stop at one woman when you can have all women? Really? You can have all women? Don Juan, are we talking about here? Well, this is the choice that you make. If you choose to not uh, be in a monogamous relationship and uh, play the field, so to speak, uh, forever and ever, then that's your choice. So be it. But uh, there's plenty of us still enjoy the fruits of monogamy and, and marriage, but to each his own. Nobody's forcing you down the aisle. You choose yourself. Just don't go down the aisle knowing this about yourself and then uh, thinking that, oh, uh, I, I'm really not, don't like monogamy, but I don't want to lose this person, so I'll marry them and then I'll do something on the side which she or he will never find out about. That's just not fair. So know this about yourself and don't get yourself into a long-term committed relationship unless the other person feels exactly the same way where you are with somebody who also doesn't believe in uh, monogamy or sex with one person forever or what have you. And that's fine. You can get, go into a contract of consensual non-monogamy, uh, and that may actually work, uh, work well for you. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800.
You still have time to get your questions in or comments at 514-800. During the week, you can always email me to laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E, at drlaurie.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com. So this texter, I think in response to the premature ejaculation uh, texter, I try to stare at a point on the wall or an object in the room. So I'm assuming you're writing that to say that that's what you use to distract yourself from not ejaculating too quickly, but that's actually not recommended. We recommend that you act, you focus on your sensation rather than distract yourself by looking at something else in the room or finding something to stare at or thinking about your grandmother or whatever it is. Uh, it's much more important to be aware of, uh, of what's happening in your penis so that you're aware of your point of no return. You're, you're able to stop yourself, to slow it down so that you can prolong, uh, your staying power basically. So distracting yourself doesn't generally work and it's not what we recommend when we're treating, uh, premature, uh, ejaculation. This is an interesting question. Don't you think it's possible that two people could have a relationship without sex and still be just as happy as people that do? Say a couple gets married and one of them is asexual or sex adverse and the other is a regular warm-blooded human being. Couldn't they have a long-term sexless marriage right from the start and still be just as romantic and devoted to each other as anyone else? Uh, that's a very interesting question. It is possible, but two people have to be on the same page, right? So let's say you're, you're talking about you being the hot blooded, whatever with an asexual person. Does that mean that you will be frustrated with the, uh, lack of sex? If you are frustrated over time, this will impact the rest of your relationships. But if both of you, uh, don't really care much for sex, but are still affectionate and are, are very romantic, let's remember asexuals are not, not necessarily aromantic. They may not want sex, but they want the romance and the, the touch and all of that is, is fine. So couples can survive without sex, but they usually cannot survive without other forms of connection, like affection, emotional intimacy, uh, etc. So if you're a sexual person, you may agree to continue a relationship with an asexual person, but it needs to be a point of discussion as to what the person is going to do with their sexual desires. Like that's a valid question. What are you going to do? You're with an asexual partner who doesn't want to have sex. You're going to have sexual desires. What are you going to do about it? So this discussion needs to be had. If you're okay with, uh, masturbation as a way to uh, relieve some of that, then, and, and you know this from the get go and that's okay with you, then that's, uh, your choice. That's fine. There's, that wouldn't cause a problem if that's, uh, where it ends, but every couple decides on their normal. Every couple decides how they, uh, are going to engage or not engage in sexual activity. Some couples for them, what's normal is having sex once a month. For some, it's twice a year as long. The, the key here is as long as no one is left, uh, frustrated, 
That's the most important part of that. So it has to sit well with both people if this is going to, um, to work. Now, other couples I've known in this situation have actually decided on non-monogamous terms to their relationship. So, uh, it's happened where one party and it's agreed upon would be polyamorous, meaning they would have outside relationships while their asexual partner does not. And their asexual partner, um, sanctions it or is fine with it, with these external extramarital, uh, relationships, but there it's not infidelity because they've both agreed that this is okay and works, uh, for both of them. Uh, I'm a 31 year old male that works out regularly, has proper nutrition, gets my required amount of sleep. When I have sex with my girlfriend, I get erections really easily. However, I tend to lose it really, really fast. If I have no direct stimulus, I get really hard erections, but, but if I were to lay on my back, it's almost impossible to maintain. Do I have a problem with my erections? If not, what can I do? It doesn't sound like you have a problem with it, but you do need, you need to know what you need. And if you need direct contact and direct stimulation, uh, to keep, uh, to keep that erection going, then that's important. The other thing that you could try is once you get your erection, you can try slipping on a penis ring at the base of your penis, which will trap the blood in there and will maintain the blood in your, uh, in your penis. So they will be, you'll be less likely, uh, to lose it, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound like, like, especially if you, you can keep the erection with direct contact. If you got the erection and lost it really fast, even with a direct stimulation, I would think maybe there's a, uh, some leakage in the veins or something, but it doesn't sound like that. Although it's something you, next time you see your doctor, it's something that you may want to, uh, mention and, uh, and find out. And sometimes the positioning may make a difference as well. So it doesn't sound like it's a, a problem. You're young to be having these kinds of problems, but it's, it is something I would nonetheless, um, mention, but I wouldn't consider this an erectile, uh, dysfunction, at least not with the information uh, you've given me. But I always say err on the side of caution, speak to a doctor, see if you need any testing. Um, again, I, I have very little limited information. So just based on that, I would think that it's not, um, a huge problem. Uh, my daughter is 25, has been with a guy for five years. They don't have sex very often, not even in the beginning. They're getting married. I am worried uh, she could be with an asexual partner. Oh, that's not the same text. Sorry. Okay, it only ends, it ended there, so I didn't get the second part of, uh, of the text. So they don't have sex very often, um, but they get to decide. You're talking about your daughter. You're basing it on what you think is normal, but maybe this works for them. So the key would be here is maybe talk to your daughter if she's open to discussing this with you and saying, is anybody expressing any frustration in, uh, the little amount of sex that you're having, or does this actually work, uh, for both of you? Because the, the, 
What worries me is that people think that once you get married, everything gets fixed. It's like, it'll all be better once we get married. Well, no, that's not how it works. Things actually don't get better. They get worse. The, the problems become accentuated, not, uh, they don't just disappear because you walk down the aisle. So I would recommend that, uh, your daughter actually seek, uh, therapy with her partner and at least have a discussion, an open discussion about sexuality in front of, uh, somebody who can talk to them about sexuality uh, and see where they're at. And if there's anything to be done, it can be done, right? We can work on that and, and figure out. But sometimes you're with someone who has very low desire, or maybe the two people have very uh, low desire. And so they don't need it as much and don't feel that they're missing out or, or anything like that. Uh, I could be with an asexual partner if we fall for each other, but he would have to be okay with me masturbating. Uh, Win-win since he will probably put more emphasis on cuddling. Lately, my last sexual experience is the man is emotionally unavailable and, and I end up craving hugs uh, and, uh, and cuddling. Uh, yeah, well, the, a lot of people crave the affection part far more when that's missing because that makes you feel loved. Sex often is, it's the physical side of it. Um, and if you don't have the affection and, and the attention outside of that, some people can feel unloved, uh, because of this. Uh, well, uh, other questions coming in, they're going to have to wait, I think until tomorrow, but, uh, just to follow up with the, the woman who wrote in about her daughter, she says he's tired because he works so hard. Uh, well, it sounds like she's frustrated. So it's something that, uh, she shouldn't let slide because he will always be probably working very hard and we need to find out what's going on, uh, with him. So suggest it to her, suggest some counseling for them, uh, together, especially if this doesn't make her very happy and is concerning for her. She'll continue to be concerned about it. Thank you all for uh, tuning in tonight. I'm sorry I didn't get to all your, your, uh, texts and such, but I will tomorrow. First, uh, the first segment of every show I spend answering your concerns. So I'll do that. So please tune in tomorrow evening. Uh, thank you to Brian Callisar, our technical producer. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Petito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up here next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Hey girl, tap your feet.